What's up, everybody? It's Wednesday, November 3rd. We're almost out of year here, folks. It's time for The Wire. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit of NBA. Uh, Richie, thank you for taking over last week. I saw that we were neglecting the NBA and they kicked off the season. So we're going to talk about the Knicks. Uh, We're going to talk about how Carmelo Anthony is doing over there in L.A. and a little bit more about the Lakers. Uh, We're going to talk about the Nets, of course. Uh, We're going to get into the NFL. Big changes in Tennessee and uh, something that Richie teed up last week and so much more. The Wire is starting right now. I'm going in as first and ten. I'm a legend boy, a champion. Again. They can't match the flows, the X's and O's. I'm breaking the codes, devastation about to unfold. They calling me Derek by the way y'all roll. Bet you never, ever, ever seen a pro this cold. I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I mix with Iron Mike and the great Ali. I'm a running back, believe me, baby. I fathered the game, call me Daddy Brady. I'm like that, try be like this. Sammy so sub, that boy don't miss. It's the return of the return of the greatest. Anyway, you name it, I'm everybody favorite. I'm bringing the pain and bringing the fire. Hey, stay tuned, it's going down to the wire. All right, fellas, I'm back. I'm here. My voice isn't quite back, but I'm here. I'm excited. <laughs> What's going on, guys? How you been? I'm all right. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing real good. I'm tired, man. I had a long <laughs> weekend. Ready oh, to go. Awesome. Well, uh, awesome show, guys. Last week, I enjoyed it very much. Let's dive into today. We're going to start things off with the NBA. Um, so the New York Knicks, they have come out uh pretty hot into the 21-22 season. Uh, I'd say they're off to a good start. They're 5-1, and one, um, and currently, at least what I saw today when we were recording, they're seated at the top of the Eastern Conference. They've got wins over Orlando, Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston, and New Orleans, and I think their one loss was also to Orlando. Um, this is their second best start in 20 years, and uh, four out of their five starters are averaging 15 points plus a game. Now, last year, I know that they exceeded uh, the expectations that we set for them here on the wire. Um, and I know I know it's pretty early, uh, early on, so I don't want to get into playoff picture and all that because we know we made this mistake last year, talking playoffs way too early. Uh, so what I'm looking for is your overall opinion of the Knicks thus far. Um, and if you think that they're capable of sustaining the current momentum that they have going for themselves. Um, why don't we start off with Sahi, you're at the top left of my screen, man. Yeah, um, the Knicks are playing fantastic, right? Um, but it's early in the season, so so we're going to see. That's what, that's what you can say. <laughs> when you don't know too much about what's going on, you're just like, it's early in the season. Either they're doing good or they're doing bad. But you saying that that's their second best start in 20 years? That yeah, I think might, it was the 12 13 right. season that they did a slightly better six and nine start. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so that's like throws up the red flag, like, yo, there might be something here to this. Um, they they did good in the playoffs. Um, they got some nice young talent in there, so it's good to see that it's blossoming. So, I mean, it can't be bad for the Knicks, you know? It's a positive sign. Something Knicks fans have been wanting to see for a long time. So, do I think they can keep the momentum they're young, so yeah, they're young. So the youth and uh, inexperience, they're going to want it, you know. So 
Yeah, I think they're going to blaze right through the Eastern Conference, at least to a to another third, fourth seed. We'll get into a, a team that's um, significantly further down that list. Uh, I think in the eighth spot right now, uh, a little bit later. But Richie, the Knicks are looking pretty good right now. I mean, you can t- I know you, and I know it's way too early to say the word dominant, but they are doing well. Do you think this is something that's sustainable? Sustainable is depends on your definition, as he said. I think this, they're a young team, which you clarify, and that means they're pretty high energy. The thing that's really helped is they're they're playing Kemba Walker split with Derek Rose. So like Kemba, you know, like Derek's not playing too often. And that's so far been very effective because he's almost averaging 18 points per game. So a dude coming, you know. To, to see Derrick Rose like back in his like career is great, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, giving Kemba a little bit less of a split is working. Um, long-term, you know, Kemba Walker was, what, three years removed from MVP conversations when he was in Charlotte. But having said that, you know, uh, right now their youth and their energy is what's winning them games. Now this is the beginning of the season and they kind of go hand in hand and they're out rebanding everybody they're playing. Will that sustain? I mean, it's really, really, really hard to say. And 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 who they're in, the conference they're in, and who they're playing with the Atlantic, it's going to be tough. You already alluded to the eighth seed currently uh, in the East, and we'll get to that. But let's, needless to say, they're in the Atlantic as well. Um, I believe they have the talent to make once again the top eight. I think Sahih saying three or four is very possible. I'm going to predict four right now because I think Atlanta. Philadelphia and Brooklyn will all definitely be better than them. Uh, Atlanta is a fantastic team, um, but they're they're definitely right at that cusp of of where they need to be. RJ Barrett's starting to really improve, and I think this is a team in two to three years that can really really start pushing. But um, you know, can they sustain it? I guess the the quick answer is yes. Uh, I believe they'll be top four. So I don't believe they're going to be the best league team in the league, but I think top four. Yeah, and uh, Trey, this is right before you joined us, I think, when we were talking about the Knicks uh, last year. It was it was a lot of the conversation of um, they've done well to get themselves where they were. We didn't think uh, past getting into the playoffs there was much more of a story to tell, and it turns out there was a little bit more than we, than we predicted. Um, with this start, do you think this is uh, – the start of something hot in New York for the Knicks. Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> I think we're being a little bit too surprised. They were a playoff team. Let's remember that. Uh, the start that they have is great. Um, I think it's way too early to tell about anything right now. Um, yeah, I'm the AC right now. Teams are still trying. Teams are still trying to figure themselves out. Um, there's still a lot of chemistry. And this is, it's really it's two weeks into the season. Um, we still have players coming off injury. I, I, we'll see. Um, like I said, they were a playoff team. I would expect nothing less than them for them to make to the playoffs again. Um, after having a face to the playoffs, after being submit for so many years. Um, I expected them to come out with a little gusto. And we, like you guys mentioned, they are a young team, so they have the legs to make a run. Um, with the leadership of Derrick Rose and Kimball Walker, um, they seem to have a nice mix between 
they seem to have a nice mix of veteran presence and youth. Um, their biggest thing is going to be consistency, and we'll see how that goes throughout the year. But they did make the playoffs last year, so I'm looking to build onto them. Awesome. All right, well, let's uh, scoot on over to the West Coast, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try something different with uh, with the lead off rotation here. I think I think it's gonna look out nice. Carmelo Anthony has come off the bench uh, and put up 20 plus points in the past two games, uh, leading up to today's broadcast. Anyway, um, he told the press that he is highly adaptable, and this is what NBA fans uh, should come to expect from him, or should have already come to expect from him. I'm definitely paraphrasing. Don't take that as a quote. Uh, but it was a really calm and cool and well-dressed interview, uh, if, if you want to check it out. Um, so far, the man's averaging 16.7 uh, points per game. His field goal percentage is the best it's ever been at 50%. Uh, the same can be said for the three-point range. Uh, it's sitting at 52%. Uh, and we've also seen him uh, playing a lot more defense than we're used to seeing out of Carmelo Anthony. Now, uh, keep in mind, once again, we are right in fresh right into the, the season here but uh, we talked a bit about how stacked the lakers are and how it can be uh, difficult to present a cohesive front when it comes to, to using this many uh, pieces i'd like to know first off uh, we're gonna start with you richie your overall take on the lakers gameplay thus far with all these moving pieces uh, and specifically i'm interested as to uh, what carmelo anthony's performance says to you about it. Um, this is a little challenging. Like, I want to be respectful to Carmelo Anthony, but it's really hard right now. I'll say this. I'm happy for Carmelo that he's like in a rhythm. And, you know, like you, you, when you're at, you're a competitor like he is, right? One of the, honestly, one of the greatest scorers in the NBA of all time. Um, you know, you got to have that confidence. I don't agree with his statement of, you know, plug me in, I'll make anything happen. Because for years, that was what the argument against him was, was that he needed to be a starter and, you know, he had a huge ego and et cetera. Uh, you know, I think Portland was really helpful in, in like turning around the, the optics of Carmelo Anthony, because that's when he started playing off the bench in Portland and succeeding. So um, I'm happy for him that he's doing well in LA. You know, he's finally playing with LeBron. He was supposed to be one of the original big three in the Heatles. So, it, you know, that's coming together for them. In terms of the Lakers play overall, it's still really early. It's hard to really discuss these things because it's like, you know, Russell Westbrook had some really terrible games and he's turning the ball over 10, 12 times. And then now he has a great game. And then LeBron's missing, you know, misses a game. And, you know, when LeBron's not there, Russell's going to carry them effectively in that sense. But what I'm curious to see is when LeBron and Russ and all of them are together and them getting the opportunity to gel. Now, you know, you got, we said this before, you got Russell Westbrook, you got LeBron James. They're two similar players, both not exactly good from the three-point line. Russell's significantly worse than LeBron in that sense. Uh, and they have similar game plans. Now, I'll say this, Russell's more, you know, more like how LeBron used to be when he was younger, where he's just diving to dunk. Um, and you know, he's going to give you 110%. Like, I, I, I think the disrespect he's getting lately is kind of crazy. You know, like, he's not playing his best, but it's like, it's you, you can tell it's jitters. You can tell it's like the lack of cohesion. And honestly, it's, um, you know, like the comparisons to Hale, like one who went to Sacramento because he could have been the piece instead. So you got all these things going on. Um, it's really early. They're not exactly the best stylistically together, but like anything who's, you know, we need to wait 40 plus games before we judge 
that unit because it's a big diff. Like Russ and LeBron are so like have the same at like attack that you don't have the spacing you need. So who's to say they don't make some moves for some role players towards the middle of the season? So um, the final product is not here. Uh, the Lakers are obviously working on that and working to see where they're at. But, you know, right now, I think the biggest problem is they're not boxing out effectively. Anthony Davis is bottom six in the NBA and boxing out. And that's really unacceptable when you consider uh, the role he needs to be playing for the team. And they're getting out rebounded. And I think that's the bigger issue is that effort in the boxing out portion of things. Because uh, everything else will come in, you know, the talent is the talent. Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And if Carmelo like, plays like this consistently, you know, long-term, like, man, they're gonna be a tough team. But right now I would say the, the, the big thing they need to work on is boxing out and not getting out rebounded because right now they're, they're playing terrible in that sense. So that's where they need to improve. Absolutely, let's slide over to Trey. And I mean, I know we've had this discussion before, feel free to weigh in on it as a part of your take. But, uh, you know, we've asked the question, is a win at, at the beginning part in this early stretch of the the season the same as a win as we're you know looking towards the playoffs towards the end of the season um but overall what's your take on the lakers and uh Mello coming off the bench with those pretty pretty stellar performances uh the lakers are i only have three people from their uh, from last year coming over to this year so this team is going to take a while to build um and Else they got to figure themselves out, and I, they've only been a preseason together less than a month. So, coming less than a month into their first season, these first 20 games are just extended practices for them at this point because they need to figure out replication. Um, and they, they need to figure out the, the stylistics of uh, Russell Westbrook, National Project, and when to bring in Ronda. And we have Trevor Reza, and we've got, and we have players hurt, THT, um, uh, who's the shooter? My guy from Carolina, uh, I can't remember, three-point shooter. I mean, we have people hurt, we, we haven't killed, we haven't played this. Melo's at 50-50 right now. I don't think he's gonna be 52% on three, 50% from the field. I think that he's gonna wind up being really close to 40, 50, 90. Um, I don't think we can expect 50% from the three all year, but if we're getting it, we're getting it. Melo's a bucket. That's what he does. He's a professional bucket. That's, he'll always, he, I think he's ninth all time in scoring right now. So he's gonna score. And from what we needed, we needed three point shooting, which he can break. And we needed scoring outside of the five especially for those moments when they have to get reps. LeBron is going to 37 this year. Him and Tom Brady are freaks of nature, but at the same time, he's still turning 37 this year. So that little rundown uh, dunk that he did, he's only got a few of those left in the thing. He's not running down after all these balls, you know what I mean? So they needed the scoring. They needed the basketball. Carmelo has tremendous basketball. I think that those those months of him sitting on the bench or not being in the league and getting that call and Portland bringing that they humbled him tremendously. He doesn't mind coming in. I mean, just like Nick Van Echo did off of uh, that Mavericks team. Right? I mean, he came off the bench out in 30. It's not about when he's in the game. It's about where he is in the game. He's going to be on the game in the fourth quarter because he can score. He's going to get 30 minutes tonight if he wants, as long as he's being productive. 
and the fact that he's coming in playing defense, that's a, that's, that's a plus. Melo, back in the day, could play defense. And he fell off of it because he didn't take on a lot of the offense. Now he's back to play defense because he's a six man or he's an offensive player. This is needed. They'll figure the rebounding out. They got the White Howard in. They have uh, Anthony Davis. They'll figure that out. They just need to learn each other and how they play. I think that's good. I'm not panicked about the Lakers. Absolutely. Sai, uh, we know you're a Lakers fan uh, as well. Um, what do you make of Melo? I know there's a lot has been said. What do you make of the early impression of the Lakers? Man, I don't know what to think of the Lakers, man. Like, the first they come out and lose to the Warriors. I'm like, okay, Steph Curry's good, all right. And then, who the, who they lose to next? Who's uh, the second game? I forget who it was. I know they lost. And then they blew a 26-point lead. The Thunder. It was yeah, okay. Yeah. Blew a 26-point lead. Come on, man. But at the, at the same time, it is early, like we were saying earlier, for the Knicks. It's early in the season, so you can't tell. I I, I want to. I, I just can't wait for the playoff time because that's when LeBron really going to show up. The the thing about it is is they gonna are they gonna be able to stay healthy enough through the regular season to be at full strength during the playoff time? Something they failed to do last year, and the Phoenix Suns just wiped them out. You know they weren't healthy. Everybody was hurt here, hurt there. So that's just the key: get everybody to the finish line. Is what the Lakers have to do because they don't need to be regular season champs. They, that doesn't mean anything to LeBron. He the, the the light when the spotlight is shining really on LeBron is playoff time because that's what everybody talks about. You know what I'm saying? It's either you know what I'm saying. Jordan went to six finals and won all six. You know what I'm saying? And LeBron went to all of them, but he he loses some of them. So he's got to get those rings and to get people off his back a little bit. And I think that's what they're gonna try to do this year. And it's gonna be tough because they got a lot of old guys out there. Um, so it's if anybody can figure it out though in the world of basketball, it's LeBron James, right? He's got all those veterans out there. He's gonna be able to figure out is what we hope. That's why they brought him in there. This is why they are paying him that much money. Um, we're gonna they're gonna be all right. All right. I got a segue. I haven't got to do this in a while. Speaking of old guys out there making it work. <laughs> oh, um, I'm, I'm going to get to the team and into the story, but I, I have to say, did you guys get a chance to see Blake Griffin's like pull up to pass midair turn shot? That <laughs> was yeah. pretty impressive. You get a chance to check it out. Uh, so before we head to the break, I, I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, specifically their game that happened on Sunday against uh, Detroit. Now, there's two really big factors that I'm going to focus on. Feel free to elaborate in the direction you want. Um, they they beat the Pistons 117 to 91. The first factor that stood out is James Harden pretty much flipped some sort of switch this past two games. Uh, he started out the first five games. He was looking rough, to say the least. Now he's up to about 23.5 points per game average. Um, and quite frankly, he's playing a little more aggressive. Uh, on the inside, which I know I've heard, I think Richie or other podcast members say before he needs to be James Harden. Um, what 
my first question, and then we'll get to the second point, and we're going to lead off with Trey. Um, what do you attribute the change in James, Hard- James Harden's gameplay and overall attitude to? Um, some examples could be the situation with Kyrie, emotions, um, the press finally getting to him, because it's not just us that have said James Harden needs to play more aggressive. It's everybody. I don't think Kyrie's situation has anything to do with James Harden's play whatsoever. Uh, we just found, uh, not really just found out, but James Harden has spent all summer rehabbing, so he hasn't really trained. So he's out of state. He's out of basketball state. Um, the new rules changes as far as like getting uh, offensive, we're getting fouls. I think that plays into the rhythm of his game because his game was predicated around manipulating that rule in sports. So he's going to have to figure that out. Um, but with James Harden, is a tremendous score without the fight. And as long as he's getting into a rhythm and he's starting to get healthier as the season goes along, he's going to be James Harden. He can still do the most ridiculous. I, I don't even. I mean, I still can't define his offense. It, it's just different. And he's still going to be that different player that's going to be very effective on the offensive end. Um, it's early in the season. Had to figure out he's got to get in shape. These first, like I said, these first 20 games, they've only been at training camp for less than a month. They had a couple of uh, preseason games, then they started the season. Um, and they're just reeling back from last year when they had 72. They're about to jump into 82. He's probably going to be out throughout the season, to be honest with you. And that's to be expected. Him and KD. Um, they'll figure the Kyrie thing out, but I don't think that that had anything to do with his gameplay. I think that him rehabbing all. Uh, summer and just starting to get back into basketball shape had everything to do with his game and he started to adjust his game non calls that they're making. Awesome. Sahi, what do you think uh, contributes to this? This uh, all of a, it seems like all of a sudden switch in, in James Harden's uh, gameplay. Um, you know, I, th- I just feel like. Uh... James Harden just doesn't want to figure it out until he gets his guy Kyrie back in there. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's weighing on his heart heavy. Um, he wants his guys out there. And every time he's lacing them up, he's he's used to having his guy next to him. And his guy that's usually next to him isn't next to him. And it's throwing his game off. You know what I'm saying? So um, they got to be whole again. Um, and, and we're going to see a lot of uh, things switching and sliding and shaking over on the net side um, until they get it figured out, you know. Um, but like Trey said, everything Trey said was true. Uh, rehabbing, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's still early, you know. They still got to get in game shape, you know. Um, it takes about, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know, I never played in the NBA, but I would guess it takes about a two, three weeks to get in the to proper game shape. So um, um, maybe that's, I don't know. Um, but you, you <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I think he needs his boy Kyrie out there, man. All right. Uh, Richie, same question. I, I, I'm curious to know how you feel about this, this kind of visible switch in James Harden. Uh, but also, I, I want to go ahead and kick off so that we can get to the break and we'll, we'll go back around. Uh, the conversation about Kevin Durant, who um, already this season has had two ejections. Um, one was last Friday. He threw a ball into the, uh, the stands. 
And uh, in this particular game that we've been mentioning, um, and I don't know that I'm going to get this name right, but uh, he was matched up with Kelly Olbrick. How do you say it? I think it's Olbrick. Oh, I've got like, yeah, Olink or, uh, yeah. Um, Olenic. Olenic. Okay, yeah. Olenic. He got him with like a uh, John Bones Jones. He gave him a good elbow. Yeah, it was a and good elbow. A little right high, to the neck. Right, right across the, the temple. Um, and that was, that was uh, I don't know, they haven't released a fine, but that was enough to get him ejected. The fine for the throwing the ball on Friday was 25000 Um I've seen in the past, I know we've mentioned in the past, that Ky- Kevin Durant has a reputation of being kind of robotic on the court and they are almost emotionless in some situations uh, and focused on the game. This is a little out of character, I would say. Uh, you might expect this from a different player, but I, I'm curious to see uh, what you think might be contributing to high emotions or whatever is causing this. Well, um, that's the two-parter there. <laughs> two-parter. Okay, so here's what I'll say. Let me go back to the James Harden thing. I think, you know, James Harden's just such a fantastic basketball player that we look at his statistics and go, wait a second, he's only scoring 18 points per game, right? So uh, at the end of the day, he's almost, what, he's almost got like 19 points per game, eight assists, eight rebounds, something like that. I mean, it's not, you know, you're talking about seven to 10 points. And again, that's a lot of points, but... For a guy who's not in game shape and has said as such because he was told not to rehab, I don't know why, but the team told him not to rehab during the offseason. I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me, but he wouldn't randomly lie about this, in my opinion. So for whatever reason, they told him not to rehab in the offseason. So you're seeing him get back into game shape. So for a guy who's not in game shape to be going 18-8-8, I don't think there's anything reason to hit the panic button. As far as KD... Um, you know, I don't know, man. He's, he's kind of a temperamental guy. Uh, you know, I think between the two of them, he's probably the one taking like Kyrie's thing harder. And he's probably just frustrated. Like, cause you know, uh, James ain't in, in game shape right now. He doesn't really have anyone to rely on. He's the type of guy that would get a little more testy and chippy. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing just kind of annoyed. Now, I don't, again, I'm not projecting on it like he's annoyed at Kyrie. I think he's just annoyed at the situation and not having one of the best scorers you know, in the NBA on his team and, you know, uh, the unknown of that and the status of that, you know, I'm not going to get into the the, C, the CEO and GM and all these other things that are happening in the media because we don't know what Kevin's thinking. The only thing I can say is Kevin is definitely a temperamental guy. I think we can all agree that we've seen it throughout history, especially with the Warriors and, you know, his, his like his frustration with fans, how easily that can affect him. But, you know, easily top three player in the league. Uh, you know, it's bothering him clearly. Uh, I don't think this is a sign of things to come. I think he's going to settle down and he's just going to ball out like he always does and everything's going to be fine. So, you know, not a great start, but with James, you know, out of shape, so to speak, and then Kyrie not playing, them being eighth and again, on only seven games, it's not, there's no panic button. It's not that big of a deal. We did say this time and time again about a certain Kansas City Chiefs. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sahi, uh, I think I messed up the order. We'll fix all this in the second half. What, what do you make of uh, Kevin Durant's uh, couple of moments in the in the sun? I guess is one way to say it. Well, I like it. I love it. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, Kevin Durant's a robotic guy. 
never really shows a lot of emotion out there on the court. So I like it. Um, I think the league needs more of it. Um, maybe Kevin Durant needs to, you know what I'm saying, get into a couple couple scuffles out on the court, you know, change his image. When you got Kyrie out there rebelling. You got um, James Harden not doing his rehab, lying on the training staff, telling them that they told him not to rehab. When they were begging him to try to get him in there, but he just didn't want to do it. The Nets are the new bad boys of the NBA. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not going to win the NBA title, so they got to be famous for something. You know what I'm saying? They got to be famous for being the new bad boys. And it's from a bunch of guys you wouldn't expect it. It's coming from a guy who thought the earth was flat, um, a dude that got fat um, and demanded a trade and then got super skinny out of nowhere, and then a trader team hopper. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't expect it out of these guys, but you could kind of see it all along that these guys are going to turn out to be the bad apples. And that's what I'm thinking we're seeing right now. So hopefully we see more of it, you know, Kevin Durant getting a couple scuffles, um, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Throw the, you know what I'm saying? Throw the fade with a fan in the parking lot. See some TMZ news. You I know? hear Jake Paul's looking for a new <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And then do like a little halftime thing, Kevin Durant versus Jake Paul. Let's go. I mean, one thing I will say, <laughs> Sahi, I agree with you. James Harden lost 40 pounds in like five days. I need to learn right. what diet that was. <laughs> right. I need to figure exactly. it out. Four months to pull that out. Yeah. <laughs> I heard he was wearing, he wasn't really fat. It was just a fat suit. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trey, I saw during that descent, I saw uh, multiple head shakes. I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> I just don't understand where this robotic Kevin Bates, Kevin Durant comes from. Robotic, I mean, like uh, Richard said, he's very temperamental. We're talking about someone who created fake burners, admitted to creating fake burner accounts on Twitter to respond to his own comment section. Like, this is the same guy we're talking about. We're talking about the guy. <laughs> we're talking about the guy who openly goes at it to known basketball reporters and analysts. He went out with Chris Rashard. He went out with Stephen A. Smith. He, like, he goes at, he's not robotic in any way. He's extremely emotional and extremely sensitive. Him getting technical fouls to get thrown out of games is common. I, I want to say he's been top 10 in the league the past like eight years. Like, this is Kevin Durant. The, the thing that he did with Kelly Olenek, I thought, I didn't think that it was intentional, but it doesn't surprise me. Him getting tossed out of the game, him getting technical fouls doesn't surprise me. I'm sure, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure if it comes to like technical foul, like payout, Kevin Durant's like top five. He's sensitive. He might respond to me on this. And, I, and I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just how please sensitive do. he is. That part, please do. I've got an awesome player. I've got the top three currently, if, if that'll do. I've got Trey Young, uh, followed by Russell Westbrook. Uh, no, Trey Young, Joel Embiid, and then Russell Westbrook. These guys don't have Katie in the top ten, but who are these guys? 
Are you ready? Watching and listening to the wire. Uh, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NFL. Um, we got to get into some big news in Tennessee, and then we've got um, the statistical favorites uh, picks discussion that was previously mentioned, and so much more. You're watching the wire. Don't go anywhere. The H2G Podcast, Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tune into H2G to hear us talk about the real topics, topics like the heartbeat law, social media, and more. The H2G Podcast, Season 7, every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome back to The Wire. Uh, we talked NBA to style. Time to move on to the NFL. Um, we, we're going to get into the statistical favorites here in just a second, but breaking news as of Sunday. Derrick Henry, who was on pace for 504 touches, which would have broken the uh, NFL record, um, is sadly, it's not looking too great uh, for for that record and for the rest of the season. Uh, King Henry went down with a foot injury that will and does require a uh, potentially season-ending surgery uh, in order to fix. Um, Unless you guys have more info, that's all I have on the injury right now. All I could find was that he's going to need surgery. They don't know if it's going to be something he can come back from this season. Um, we're going to kick things off with Sahi. Um, Sahi, what does, firstly, what does not having Derrick Henry mean for Tennessee? Uh, basically, they should just shut down the whole football facility, uh, forfeit all their games, be like, all right, guys, that's it on the season. We're ending the season a little early this year, unexpected. Um, we didn't ex- we didn't foresee Derrick Henry going down. Um, he does it all for us. Um, but yeah, li- literally, that's what it means. Like, Are they even going to make the playoffs this year? Um, should they be scouting draft picks early? Um, they got a lot to think about because Derrick Henry was their guy. He makes the whole ship go. Um, but they got Julio Jones for a reason. Um, so now they're going to have to rely on Ryan Tannehill, a guy that's been getting a lot of praise down there in Tennessee. So now it's time for Tennessee, realistically, to see who they really are, see what they got back to their quarterback. Um, and you know what I'm saying? It's it's really not the end of the road. They're still a good team. Um, they just signed a, a beast of a guy down there. So um, it's it, it's going to be a lot tougher. But then again, let me I'll add this. It does make Tennessee a little bit more dangerous at the same time because you have to really have a lot of guesswork with what they're going to do now. It's not going to be, oh, we got to go in here and stop Derrick Henry and do something that nobody wants to do. And this is what we're going to have to do. Um, they're going to have to game plan for different things. Um, so I, it, it could potentially make them a little bit more dangerous, kind of like the uh, how Cleveland got better without Odell Beckham Jr. Um, in the lineup. Although... You know what I'm saying? It's not the same, but it could be. You know what I'm saying? It could be. Teams aren't going to know what to expect now, um, and it could make them a little bit more dangerous. But that's a huge blow. Um, he's He was going to be the lead rusher. Um, he was probably going to break the records, like I said, all the records um, as far as rushing goes. So they've got a lot to figure out. I can't wait to see what they do. Richie, that is, uh, in fact, 
not news that you want to get if you're anyone in management over in Tennessee, uh, and, and especially not for Derek uh, or his family. Definitely send condolences there. Uh, same question. I mean, what does what does this mean not having Derek Henry? What does this mean for Tennessee? You know, before I get serious, I'm very disappointed this didn't happen two weeks ago when I was playing against Marvin because uh, Derek Henry is the sole reason I lost that week. Um, it's a bummer. You know, we I love the, the position of running back, and I feel like in the last 10 years, it's dramatically been reduced in its role and what the scope of its value is. Ezekiel Elliott had to sit out to try to get some of that money uh, because so often now, you know, Adrian Peterson, I believe in 2011, was the last, you know, MVP and the last time like a running back really got their due, so to speak. And Derrick Henry's been phenomenal and people talk about Derrick Henry, but even though he's having like all time historic Eric Dickerson type runs and years and seasons, uh, he's still not getting the same accolades that Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and et cetera are, are having. You know, like when you look at uh, Patrick Mahomes, which I'm you know, not saying anything bad about him. He's done fantastic. He's a fantastic quarterback. He's having a little bit of an offseason. But the point is, Derrick Henry has been that prolific at the running back position. And yet we don't hear nearly the same news about somebody like Derrick Henry. Uh, it's a crushing blow. Um, back to my fantasy, I'm hoping uh, AJ Brown will get a lot more. I don't care about Julio, I'll give it to Brown. Um, but yeah, te- as, far, as far as Tennessee goes, it, it's going to be hard for them. But again, I will, let's be optimistic to Sahi's point. They have Ryan Tannehill, they have Brown, and they picked up Julio. And Julio's honestly one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play football. So when you're giving Brown that opportunity to go single, you're giving Julio. And quite frankly, they haven't really had many opportunities because Derek was on pace to touch it 500 times and they're running the ball most of the season. So um, if this is Ryan Tannehill and I'm, I'm Julio Jones and I'm AJ Brown, uh, not that I'm happy about this, but I'm, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to showcase my own talents and uh, you know get Tennessee into the playoffs and hope Derek can come back by then. Uh, it's approximately eight weeks. They're talking to Adrian Peterson, I believe, to kind of be that fill-in back. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe they, the game plan changes. Mike Vrabel's honestly top three NFL coach, period. Uh, so if anyone's going to be able to like turn around what they need to do, Mike Vrabel is very good at doing game planning. And uh, he, he's one of the few Bill Belichick coaches I think has actually been successful. I, I know, three. Trey, about you heard me, top three, period. You top three. You heard me, three. Top three. This isn't technically a goat alert. <laughs> this is not a goat alert. This is top three. Tomlin, no, Andy Reid, Andy Reid, uh, the, 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 the Rams coach, the Ravens coach, and you're going to say Fable is a top three coach. Here's who I have better than him. Okay, I I honestly would only say, um, hmm. Bill I, Belichick. I, I, no, I'm not giving Bill Belichick any dis. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> the only season he didn't have not Tom Brady, he went crap. This season, now he's using an excuse of, oh well, I got a rookie quarter. It's there's excuse after excuse for him. Tom Brady carried that mofo, and if you look historically at all his assistant coaches. They all sucked, except for Vrabel, who wasn't a coach. It was his former player. All of his coaching tree has been terrible. Whereas Andy Reid's, to your point, has been successful because we're looking at the Packers and we're looking at the Rams and they're successful. But if 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 Bill Belichick is this amazing coach, why is it that everyone under him 
has never been successful. Okay, so take him away. So take Yo, him away. Three. Yep, top three. I'm the still sticking with Bill. I mean, we can talk Andy Reid as a head coach. I agree with you. We Andy Reid has Mike to be Tomlin. Mm. Mike Tomlin is a better coach than him. That's there's no there's no way you could put Mike Tomlin below him. And then we can even take the bill the coach for the bill right now for what he's doing. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying that I feel like that was John Payton. John Payton. Oh, you're all crazy. Sean Payton. <laughs> we might not get to the last topic. So I, I know, we might not get to the last topic. Sean <laughs> Payton. John Payton's a heck of a coach. Is he, is he, or is he great at scoring points? He's just great. Look at, look at what he's doing he the uh, last few years. He got Teddy Bridgewater paid. Uh, he made Taysom Hill look sweet. Wait, 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 wait. Rewind. Winston what did I just say? Down. Is he great at offense or is he a great coach? I agree with you. He's the best offensive mind significantly over Andy Reid. But if he's so great with all the talent he's ever had, how come he don't win? They're in the playoffs every year. Oh, okay. Year. I thought it was to win championships. He's got a uh, as an Super offensive Bowl. mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As an offensive oh. mind, significantly, Andy Reid's we one of the greatest offensive Andy Reid's probably. Yo, we gotta have a coach's conversation at this point. We do. Clearly okay. Do. Okay. No. No. Trey. 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 If that's the case, we'll do some. We'll check. We'll fact check this next week. But I guarantee you, Sean Payton's teams average more points than Andy Reid's teams career-wise. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> Guarantee it. I'll put money on it. If you All want right. to put fifty bucks on it, I I full heartedly <laughs> oh believe John Payton. Money on the his team. team averages more points than Andy Reid's teams collectively over their careers. One thousand percent, I believe that. I could be wrong, and if I am, we'll find out next week. We'll look at the statistics. I don't have these numbers off the top of my head, but I truly believe Sean Payton's teams have averaged more points per game than Andy Reid. I don't disagree. Andy, Andy Reid has had, has has been in the tougher division than Sean Payton. You can argue that. You you could argue that, but when with offensive minds, it has nothing to do with division. It's how many points it you does. put up. Absolutely, the defenses that he's had to face versus the defenses that Tom Hayden's had to face has been completely different. Mm, and, and we're I don't talking know. about Andy Reid. Andy Reid historically one of the greatest offensive minds in the. NFL. And so Sean Payton, I agree he with you on Andy Reid, though. I'm but not disputing that. that. NFC that, East, maybe 2001 Brable. through 2006, man. But to the original point, Rabel as a top three coach is very and highly debatable. Oh, absolutely. Highly debatable is a very fair statement. I'm not disputing that. I'm just telling you, I could, ar I would love to argue for him as number three. He's clearly not one and two. That's why I said top three. I ain't ever going to put one or two. a decent podcast on the ESPN Network. Check out Highly Debatable. We're just giving out free plugs. <laughs> Anyways, this is completely derailed based on one one number that I put out. So let's, also, let's go back to the Urban Meyer. Let's go. Successful. Let's go back to. Let's go back to the scope of this conversation, right? If I'm Tannehill and I'm the wide receivers, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to showcase my talents, right? That, that's what we're discussing. So I believe this is a great opportunity for them. Uh, AJ Browns have a heck of a career so far. Julio Jones is a GOAT. Honestly, probably a top five wide receiver of all time. 
when you look at his, his numbers and you look at the lat latter half of his career, the only guy that's even put up margins in similar categories is Jerry Rice. I mean, Julio does not get the respect he deserves. I've never understood why. Uh, and it's disappointing he, you know, he had to leave Atlanta uh, and, and come to Tennessee. But, you know, I really want to see him have the opportunities again, because both of these guys have come, have kind of been on the, the, the wayside due to, to King Henry's success this season specifically. So this is a great opportunity for them to show. And particularly Julio, I still got it because Julio Jones still got it. And people forgot. It's crazy. Trey, we're, we'll absolutely open up a uh, top three quarter or top three head coach discussion in the back half of the <laughs> episode. Yeah. episode. Um, but in regards to to this, I do want to know what you think um, Derrick Henry being out probably for the possibly for the season, probably for the rest of the season means for Tennessee. But in addition to that, before we close this discussion and move on, um, I, I also want to ask you, does this bring to light once again that it's kind of dangerous to base your entire offense? We, we've talked about this with, with Wentz, right? Base your offense off of one player. Um, is this is this once again kind of proving that point? Uh, no, I mean it's kind of find your identity, and it's it's it's, it's basically smash mouth football. You run the ball, you control the clock. That's basically how they operated. And from off of that run, since you had to load the box with eight nine guys, off of that play action pass, you had AJ Brown and Julio Jones on the outside. With um, I think Julio Jones has a, is having a hamstring issue right now. Um, so AJ Brown's going to get majority of those looks, but now that opens up the field. They don't have to put eight nine in the box. They can roll over coverage to AJ Brown right now since Julio's out um, and get him covered. So it, it really is how much has Ken Hill learned as a quarterback, starting off as a receiver from and um, and since he's been in the NFL, he had had great moments and he's had some low life. Um, so it's going to be real interesting to see where um, where they end up without King Henry. Um, I will say that the AFC uh, playoff-wise and for Super-wise is wide open. Um, it looks like it's, a, I mean, honestly, the best team in the AFC right now for looking at what they're doing right now, I would say is the Raiders and probably, possibly um, the Bills. But really the Raiders. If we're looking at, if we're going to take teams right now, if I had to put money on right now, I would take the Raiders. But that just shows you how wide open it is because they're riding off of a very, um, I don't say emotional, but a traumatic situation themselves by losing John Gruden due to his comments and how his actions off the field. Um, but I also feel like this may be, I heard someone say earlier, this may be a blessing in disguise. I think you mentioned he was going to get over 500 carries this year. Running backs don't come back off of that. Like, historically, period. Anybody you're going to give 400 plus run, uh, a carries in the season, they're at their lifeline on the NFL decline right after that. And then they start having the knee problem. Then there's the ACL. So, really, this foot problem, as if it is, as iffy as it is, and as uh, complicated as it is, foot problems are always complicated. You can always re injure them. They're such small bones, they're such frail bones. Um, depending on how long it takes, um, he may have just given himself an additional two years in the league. I know we all are upset that he may have not beat the Russian record, but um, 
it might have been a blessing in disguise for Derrick Henry himself. And now Tennessee knows what they got as far as quarterback. Is he a game manager or can he make the play? So it'll be very interesting, especially in the AFC, um, what happens next. Absolutely. Uh, I had to look it up real quick. When you when you say coming back off of uh, ACL, MCL in- injuries, there is one man who became a robot after he tore both at the University of Oklahoma. I believe that we're talking about the same Adrian Peterson. Uh, who, He's not human. That doesn't count. <laughs> He's an alien. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he tore both. I remember watching that play and came back faster by like six tenths of a second or some crazy shit like that. Okay, let's um, expand off a discussion you guys had last week that I really enjoyed. Um, if you want to enjoy that episode and you missed it, you can go to um, H2G Podcast on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where all the audio podcasts are. Check out our previous episodes. Uh, we're going to dive into NFL statistical favorites. Um, Richie brought up at the end of last week's episode. We're going to start things off with the Offensive Player of the Year uh, so far, obviously. Uh, let's start with Richie because this new uh, this new rotation got me confused, so I will have to write it down next week. Uh, but we'll just go in the order I see everybody. Richie, uh, who's your Offensive Player of the Year so far? Well, this makes me very sad because we did this last week. I would have said Terry. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> And now I can't say Derrick Henry because just just to give him his props before I move on, Derrick Henry is at 937 yards. The next closest guy is Nick Chubb at 584. He's almost got double when you really think about that. That's absolutely insane compared to his own peers. Uh, having said that, I mean, this is this is a tough one because now we're now we're looking at quarterbacks and now it's kind of boring. I know Sahi's on here. Sahi, you better say Tom Brady. I don't want us both saying Tom Brady, so I'm going to let you have Tom Brady. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Stafford. You know what? Why not? I'll say Matt Stafford uh, with an honorable mention to Derek Carr. Um, Derek Carr's played phenomenal, by the way. Phenomenal. But I'm going to give it to Matt Stafford. I feel like for a guy coming into a new system to compete like this, the only time I've ever seen it was Tom Brady last year. Matt Stafford is balling. Uh, he's 22 and four, 22 touchdowns and four interceptions. And when, and honestly, the bigger note to me is his sacks. He only has seven sacks. You know, one of the things historically with this guy in Detroit was he'd hold on the ball and get sacked like 50 times a season. And that, that was where he'd get injured. And, you know, Marvin and I had those discussions. But having said that, uh, he's reduced his sacks, reduced his interceptions, and maintained uh, the passing that we're used to seeing is his touchdowns and his yardage. So to me, being on a new team, uh, Derrick Henry excluded, obviously. I'm going to go with Matt Stafford on this. I think he's had a phenomenal year so far. All right. Sahi, who do you have as offensive player? Um, yeah, like uh, Richie said, obviously it's Tom Brady. But but I'm not going to go with Tom Brady here. I'm going to go with uh, my man Kyler Murray, man. Obviously, he's the uh, he's got his team 7-0. Or eight no, whatever they haven't lost. No, they have lost. They, they lost just lost. <laughs> what am I thinking? What am I thinking? But still, he's playing great. Um, uh, he he was a guy that was uh, on the fence of playing football. He was going to go play basketball, and he said, "Wait, let me go over here and try the football." 
Um, and it turns out he's actually great at the football. Uh, so far, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions, quarterback rating of 110. Okay, um, and that's phenomenal, man. 72 completion percentage. Um, come on now. Um, he's playing highly efficient football. Um, and uh, him down there with uh, Cliff Kingsbury, um, they're, they're doing the thing down there. And uh, they're looking pretty sweet, man. He coming in hot with the stats moving over to trade. Yeah. <laughs> First time in history. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Trey, we're, we're at Offensive Player of the Year thus far in your own view. Oh, yeah. uh, I think we've mentioned the top three quarterbacks in the league between uh, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, and Kyler Murray. And since Derrick Henry's down, it's got to be one of them. Right now, I think um, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, is leading them with like 2,600 yards or something like that um, with touchdowns and interceptions. I, I, right now, I have, if we're looking at it right now, I'd have to come. I don't want to just give it to him. Colin Murray's doing some things over there with the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals, pound for pound, probably have the best receiving core. Um, and they could just move the ball. Uh, numbers wise, it's going to be Tom Brady right now. Uh, <laughs> If honestly, I'm gonna take a di- I might take a different route. And I might go Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is <laughs> Matthew Stafford has Cooper Cup looking like he's going to all. He's about to break uh, Megatron's record. If he can continue on this pace with the extra game, he might break Megatron's record. So I'm going to go with uh, quarter, the quarterback play is going to be crazy with the extra game and how the game spread out. It's been really amazing to see them fling the ball around. But what Cooper Cup has done with the Rams this year, and that's with having Deshaun Watson, I mean, Deshaun Jackson on the opposite side, I think that is pretty amazing. Um, so I'm going to give the nod to him for offensive play of the year. Hey, coming in unpredictable. We're going to go in reverse <laughs> order back around the, the, the bend here. Trey, your defensive player of the year. Then. My defensive player of the year has to be right now. It's, uh, my guy uh, from the Cowboys, the DB. What's his name? He's got a brother in the league. Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs. My guy is a machine. If he can keep going at this pace, he deserves defensive player of the year. If he can get 15 interceptions, 14 interceptions this year, 15 interceptions this year, he's defensive player of the year. To me. All right. All right. Saheed, what about you, man? Uh, Who do you have as defensive player of the year? Man, the defensive player of the year. I was going to give it to Trayvon Diggs because he's the only guy that I can think of that's just like going out there and making a huge difference in a team that was one of the worst defensive teams last year, Um, especially in that uh, secondary. Um, But I'm going to be a homer on this one and shine a light on the guy that you guys might not know about. He's not in the stat sheets every week. Um, You might not even know he's on the team. I'm gonna go with Vita Vea, 
defensive lineman for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've had the number one rush defense for two years in a row. All right. And we're well on our way to having the number one rush defense for a third year in a row. Why? Is it isn't it isn't because of uh of um of uh Levante David. It isn't because of uh, you know say uh why is his name just leaving me right now? White. Um man, I can't I can't believe I'm I'm leaving yeah, I'm right. forgetting. Devin White. Yeah. It's because of Vita Vea. You know why we won the Super Bowl last year? It really wasn't because of Tom Brady. Uh, although he's the group, it, it was that it was that defense because the defense was able to come together because teams weren't used to uh, seeing us with Vita Vea on film. He came back um, from a season-ending injury at the um, after the Washington game. Washington gave us trouble on offense. Why we didn't have Vita Vea out there? He's probably the most dominant defensive tackle in the NFL. Um, so you guys. What did he just say? Aaron Donald's a defensive tackle, Sahi. Aaron Donald's a defensive tackle. Aaron Donald plays defensive tackle, but he's listed as a defensive end. So. No, he's listed as a defensive tackle. X U X U. He's a DT. Great. All right. Vita Vea is. Is the most dominant defensive tackle in the NFL. I, now I say it again. Yeah, what is going? Is, is, is it is it retrograde? Is it retrograde? Because you guys are saying some off the wall stuff today. <laughs> I mean, but I, I, hey, try, 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 try. Is greater and more dominant than Aaron Donald? Come on, man. The, the the most dominant defensive tackle. I just say the best. I just say the best. Dominant. I said the most dominant. No, and Dominica Sue is the defensive tackle. There's, yeah, there's a reason why we're going on. I, I laid out the stats for you guys. Number one in rushing, three years in a row. Three no, years in a row. That's because we got the most dominant force down there in the middle, plugging them holes. Running backs have nowhere to go, and we got. Y'all just a saw a defensive tackle. Uh, what's his name for the, the for the Saints? He got on. He got. What's his name? Not Will Smith. What's his name? All right, I- I'm gonna go on mine. I'm gonna go on mine. Wait, Vita Vea is Sahis. We got it. All right. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and have an argument about that. You know, he knows his team. If he feels Vita Vea's impact is that large, I don't know about if it's better than Aaron Donald. But that's look him I'm up. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. All right. There's a lot of good players. And you know I'm an Aaron Donald fanboy. You know for a fact I'm going to tell you the reality that they're leading the league in sacks because of this man, even though he's not getting them right now. Leonard Floyd is getting most of them. But, and now they're about to have Vaughn Miller get some free ones. Uh, their defense is 18th. So he has no business, even though I think he's the best defensive player, he certainly is not defensive player of the year so far. In my opinion, it's Miles Garrett with Cle- the Cleveland Browns, them being the, the top three defense, number three currently, in terms of yards and points allowed. So to me, Miles getting double and triple team, just like I talked about with Aaron Donald, leading the league with 10 and a half sacks, 
getting cloned and having blood tests week after week after week. Miles Garrett is clearly, at least right now, the best defensive lineman. Uh, you know, we can talk about Diggs and his incredible play so far. Quite frankly, seven interceptions is crazy. But he does let a lot of big plays go past him, which is why for me, I'm always I'm always the guy. Get to the quarterback, you win the game. So I'm going to stick with Miles Garrett. I think Miles Garrett so far. No one disagrees with you, Richie. Uh, one Mason Rudolph over there in Pittsburgh on the bench. He disagrees that Miles Garrett is a good, good football player. No, just, um, <laughs> bad jokes all day from the sick guy. Let's go around one more, uh, Richie, reverse order. Let's. We, we only got time for one. Let's do MVP of the year so far. Uh, if you had to give the MVP trophy out right now, uh, who'd you give it to? Okay, remember, this is me picking, not like who I think is going to win. If I'm picking, I'm giving it to Derek Carr. It's really that simple. Um, that Vegas team, nobody had, as, as Trey pointed out, is possibly the best team in the AFC right now. You could not have been, at the beginning of the season, been like, Derek Carr is gonna throw 12 and five for 2,400 yards. Like, that's just, I mean, maybe if you're a real Raiders homer, maybe. Uh, but Derek Carr has to play phenomenally. Uh, the Vegas Raiders, in my opinion, exceeded my expectations. And I would have never guessed they would have been the team leading the West in that moment. So uh, to me, uh, Derek Carr, it's that simple. Side note, we didn't really do rookies, but Jamar Chase is clearly gonna win, so we don't need to talk about that. But uh, Derek Carr, for sure, for sure, is my MVP of the season so far. Jamar Chase also doesn't count because he too is an alien. Uh, Sahi, uh, we're at the MVP of the year. If you had to give it to somebody today, who'd you go to? If I had to give it to somebody today, um... I'd give it to Dak Prescott um, because he's completely shown everybody why he wanted to get paid and why his contract situation was such a big deal for him and he had to get the number he wanted because he's the man down there in Dallas and he's got him firing on all cylinders. Uh, one podcast host would agree that he's the second best man in Dallas. Uh, <laughs> Trey, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not better than Dak Prescott on anything. Uh, maybe podcasting. Trey, uh, MVP of the year. If you had to hand it out today, who'd you, who'd you give it to? My MVP of the year is going to Lamar Jackson. Uh, he's lost his three top running backs. He's thrown for more yards than he has the other season, and he can still get it down to play. Somehow, he's got this team winning. Um, he doesn't like his going to So my MVP would go to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, who needs a running back when you are Lamar Jackson? You when you ball. are the running back who <laughs> yeah. throws the ball. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the top 10 rushing uh, <laughs> players yeah. of the year. Top 10 um, rushing, right, you so... get up for 400 yards in a game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we missed uh, Biggest Pleasant Surprise and Biggest Disappointment. We might be able to squeeze that in somewhere next week. We're for sure going to talk top three uh, head coaches because that is highly debatable. Another shout out. Um, you've been watching and listening to The Wire. You're checking us out on the audio podcast. We know you're listening to us on one of them. Uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, one of those. Um, we've been putting in the uh, Q&A and the uh, polls. If you can get involved with us there, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. We'd also like some reviews. 
Um, let us know how we're doing. If there's a, a different direction you'd like us to take, if you'd like to come on the show, there's something cool you can do. You can go to our Facebook and our YouTube page. Uh, let us know in the comments, but also join our Patreon, folks. That's where all of our behind-the-scenes stuff is. Um, you get into the studio roughly three to five minutes before we start recording uh, most of the time. So uh, that's all I've got. Anybody else got anything before we ring the bell on this Wednesday? I also feel like we should talk about defensive tackles. I'm not going to mention Aaron Donald, but I really want Saheed to give me more information. And I believe him, but that's my point. Like, I am oblivious in my knowledge of Tampa Bay in that capacity. You know, to me, if I'm not going to go Aaron Donald, I would say like Fletcher Cox or Chris Jones or Cameron Hayward. So I'm curious to learn, like he said, the vaunted, like, number one rushing defense three years in a row. So Sahi can educate me a little more. So I would love to get into a conversation like that. Because yeah, that's what, you know, you, let's do it. It'd be great. You. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, yeah, I'm dead. Yeah. I don't want to sound facetious. I mean, you need, I mean, I mean this is, yeah, this is something people should know. Actually. Yeah. No, I mean it. You know, it's a big yeah. part. Tampa Bay's success is their defense. And clearly there's parts I don't well, understand. So I would love to hear I, about I, that. Earlier, I was talking about Cam Jordan. Okay, okay. And having Tom Brady helps. Oh, yeah. Man, you love. Anybody can do it. He I No, no combat. So uh, next week, you heard it here first. We're going to definitely get into the second half. Uh, defensive tackle conversation as well as top three head coaches. If you got something else you want us to throw in there, let us know in the comments below. Otherwise, we'll see you next Wednesday and every Wednesday at 8 p.m.